Hello and a very warm welcome to this special edition of Africa Brief from IFEX to mark World Press Freedom Day 2021. IFEX is the global network of over 100 organizations that promote and defend the right to freedom of expression and information. My name is David Christopher, I'm IFEX's media specialist, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rehana Masters, our Africa regional editor. And Rehana, today we're absolutely delighted to welcome two very special guests, Zoe Titus, the director of the Namibia Media Trust, and Tabani Moyo, executive director of the Media Institute for Southern Africa, Zimbabwe. It's wonderful to have you with us. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, David. And Rihanna. Oh, what a privilege, yeah. A warm welcome to you both, Tabani and Zoe. And yes, this is a special edition. World Press Freedom Day is always an important occasion, but this year all the more so as we mark the 30th anniversary of the landmark Windhoek Declaration for the development of a free, independent, and pluralistic press. And, you know, we all acknowledge that today we're seeing World Press Freedom Day coming home to its birthplace, Namibia, which is hosting the official celebration with UNESCO. So Zoe, I'm going to start with you since it's home country and home territory, and you will be hosting us. Looking back to 30 years ago and where we are right now, what is it that stands out for you in particular? I think that at this point, uh, what is most profound for me as we go into the World Press Freedom Day celebration this year, and specifically the 30th anniversary of the Windhoek Declaration, is that there is generally, I think, much greater awareness of press freedom among people, um, not only in Namibia, and believe me, if you are here and you switch on a television or a radio, that's literally the only thing that you hear on radio um, or, or in the media in general. But I'm speaking about um, the global population, and interestingly, I think younger people all over the world um, and this is at a time when one would, would assume that there's no understanding or appreciation for the work of the media or journalism in general. Um, I think it has something to do with the kind of introspection that COVID-19 has forced us to do and the fact that people are now more than ever demanding a more equitable world justice and they realize that journalists and good journalism is very much a part of attaining those goals. I think that's a standout thing for me. Um, and that's why these rights of media freedom of expression resonate so widely, more widely um, than we would expect. Yeah, I agree with you, uh, Zoe. There's, been, there's much more awareness. There's much more um, resonance with the issues. So, Tabani, can you elaborate on how and what has changed significantly from your perspective since the Windhoek Declaration was first signed? Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks uh, for this opportunity. Uh, we, we are talking here of uh, three decades ago. Um, what we really need to acknowledge is that uh, the, the fundamental principle um, or principles of uh, independent press, uh, diverse press, and um, uh, more importantly, uh, pluralistic uh, media setup uh, is, is more fundamentally pronounced 
uh, in terms of the demands today, um, which is in itself the resilience uh, of the uh, of the media players who met uh, 30 years ago in Vindog um, to try and cast their vision uh, and leapfrog um, our existence as a human race in terms of how we communicate. So profoundly, the foundational uh, or the uh, cornerstones of the declaration remain highly relevant. However, they, there are many changes that have happened, specifically um, changes to do with the medium uh, or the media of communication itself. Uh, with the rise of the internet, uh, it has brought new dimensions um, to, the, to the press as we knew it. Um, that uh, though it was uh, envisaged that there will be a free press, uh, it will be diverse, uh, and it will be operating independently. Uh, there is therefore need to rethink these profound statements uh, in terms of uh, how do you define uh, media diversity in the age of uh, uh, digital? How do you define independence in the age of uh, uh, threats of capture? How do you define uh, freeness um, of media where in the demands for an accountable media in the face of disinformation and misinformation uh, is increasingly rising. So 30 years ago today, uh, we are then therefore looking back and saying um, profoundly that uh, they took a bold step uh, towards uh, highlighting and coming up with these uh, fundamental cornerstones uh, that defined um, the, the type of a media that we envisaged. Uh, and uh, again, many years that then followed, uh, this declaration has uh, evolved and developed uh, feeding into different tools and mechanisms uh, that followed after its birth. So in essence, uh, many things have changed. Fundamentally, uh, the demands for a free press uh, that is diverse, uh, plural, as an information uh, for good type of vehicle uh, is higher than ever. Yes, it was definitely a very visionary document, you know, uh, who, who imagined that we would be, you know, we would be where we are and would have the internet. Um, but I'm going to take you back a little bit. Um, you know, you talked about the founding members and one of them is there in Namibia. And uh, Zobi, you can tell us about, you know, the media freedom champion um, in Namibia who will be welcoming us along with uh, the Namibian government and yourself. Yes, um, I have uh, the pleasure of working with Gwen. Um, she is Gwen Lister. She is the chairperson of the Namibia Media Trust. And she is the, the champion. Gwen is in many respects referred to um, as the mother of the Vintuk Declaration. Um, so you see, for us in Namibia, it's an incredibly emotional time right now because Namibians really, really take ownership of the Vintuk Declaration. And it's, I think it's an honor and we are um, at the prospect we're, of, we're receiving, yeah, of, of receiving people here. It is so, so um, sad though and unfortunate that uh, this is a hybrid conference. So um, where in, uh, I mean, in, in, in previous years, uh, hundreds and thousands of journalists would descend on a country to, to celebrate World Press Freedom Day. This year, COVID restrictions uh, demand that there are no more than 100 people in the room. Hopefully, we'll have thousands more online. Okay, so here we are 30 years later. Um, let, let's look at 
the state of media freedom on the continent today. Okay. Um, Tabani, I know this subject is up your street. You did an analysis of the broadcasting regulatory framework in the Southern African region. What stood out for you in relation to the provisions of the Windhoek Declaration? Oh, well, uh, I think it was uh, quite an eye-opener in that uh, the Windhoek Declaration insisted uh, on uh, the independence uh, of a vehicle which transmits uh, information and communication needs for a society. So in essence, uh, what the Windhoek Declaration took us towards was the fact that uh, uh, in essence, every media uh, or every form of uh, communication uh, platform, uh, traditionally known as traditional media, um, is a public good. Um, in essence, what they are saying when they are saying it should be independent, it should be public service, uh, whether it is state-owned, though the quest is to move it towards public service, uh, or it is independent, they are all public good in essence. Uh, that's what the text actually reads uh, in terms of uh, uh, the ultimate uh, objective that it pushed towards. The narrative, the declaration uh, um, spells is that of a, a media which is a public good. In that research, what we uh, uncovered is that uh, uh, radio uh, has remained a resilient um, a medium uh, of communication, um, though the, the declaration by then uh, was keen on separating communication needs uh, between uh, private uh, entities and state-owned entities. What really blew my mind is that uh, uh, in the past 30 years, the period we are celebrating, uh, the resilience of radio in, in Africa, in Southern Africa, is highly uh, visible. And what, what the research um, findings also point is that uh, there is a mixed um, approach towards the regulation uh, of the broadcasting industry in Southern Africa, where in other states they have managed to, to take progressive steps. Uh, others are still struggling with the basics, uh, specifically uh, the laws that govern how radio or broadcasting services are licensed, uh, mainly through the agency uh, of uh, authorities uh, which are statutory in nature. In other jurisdictions, um, they are doing it well, um, of course, with challenges compared to best practice. But uh, comparatively, in Southern Africa, uh, regulatory authorities uh, like in South Africa are uh, standing out in terms of convergence uh, of how they are structured uh, and how they issue uh, licenses, in, including how they are accountable to the public through parliamentary uh, oversight. Uh, while in other jurisdictions, like in your Zimbabwe uh, and other jurisdictions, uh, they, they, they are still, by and large, those challenges around uh, uh, how independent uh, are the bodies that are regulating our broadcasting um, spectrum. Uh, what is also equally pronounced is that uh, in all forms of communication in broadcasting, uh, radio is the most accessible, mainly because uh, of uh, the literacy issues uh, in Southern Africa, uh, and that uh, um, it is easier uh, compared to uh, print or television. Uh, television, because of costs, um, print in terms of literacy to access. Uh, so it, it requires a universal service approach uh, towards uh, its regulation. Uh, and that uh, through that resilience which it has shown, uh, there is therefore a, a, a genuine need 
uh, towards pushing uh, for independent regulatory authorities, uh, but also review of broadcasting regulation laws uh, so that they are in sync uh, with what uh, the, the founding fathers and mothers uh, of the, the Vindok Declaration had in mind uh, of a free, independent, um, and uh, somewhat when it is free and independent, it becomes competitive and responsive uh, to the needs of uh, the society that it is serving. And it is coming out clearly that Southern Africa uh, yearns for that approach uh, wherein uh, there is independence in broadcasting services. Uh, they are affordable. They have got a wider reach. And above all, they promote and preserve languages uh, from their indigenous communities, uh, which are increasingly under threat um, towards extinction due to uh, global pressures uh, and uh, the, the obscure uh, communication scale uh, in terms of media products that are being consumed uh, within these respective communities. So by and large, uh, it fits well into what we are discussing today, the Vindog Declaration uh, on uh, Independent and uh, Pluralistic Media. Uh, absolutely, uh, Tabani, and, and it does bring to mind as well what you were saying uh, earlier about how, you know, so much has changed, so much has evolved in terms of how we communicate over the last 30 years since uh, the Bintuk Declaration uh, came about. But really those principles, uh, that vision remains just, just as important, if not uh, more important uh, today. And, and I think you're really also touching on some of the big challenges and barriers that are facing uh, press freedom and also freedom of expression and access to information more broadly today uh, in, in Africa. Um, Zoe, I, I know this is a subject very close to your heart. Um, indeed, David. Um, well, there is ample evidence to indicate that media freedom is increasingly under threat and those who wish to prevent journalists from shining the light on corruption and wrongdoing are increasingly innovative in how they go about it. Africa um, is still lagging behind the rest of the world in terms of, uh, for example, the enactment of legislation that would guarantee citizens the right to access to information held by both public and private institutions. In fact, we are seeing a flurry of laws being legislated that are intended to restrict um, media freedom, freedom of expression, and access to information rights generally. There is literally, uh, for lack of a better word, a tsunami or a wave of, of legislation um, that is now being enacted uh, specifically directed at the online space. Um, and here I'm speaking about uh, cybercrime legislation um, the, the, the influx of surveillance technologies um, and not being, um, let's say, equaled or, or paralleled or, for that matter, uh, balanced by the right to privacy online. Shall we move on to, um, you know, the other themes that World Press Freedom Day is also focusing on, like media sustainability, media literacy, um, the transparency of internet platforms, all of which have been really beeping on the media radar. Which one stands out for you and why? And I'm, I'm going to put it out to both of you, Tabani and Zoe. Um, I mean, the one that immediately jumps out for me is media sustainability. And that is probably because the Namibia Media Trust 
is a non-profit trust, but it's also the owner of the largest independent English daily newspaper in the country. So the profits from this commercial entity, uh, the newspaper, are ploughed back into the work of the trust, which allows us um, to do our campaigns around access to information, media freedom, freedom of expression um, in Namibia and beyond its borders. Um, I've dedicated more than 25 years of my life to working in either journalism or the media development sector because of um, my deep, deep belief that the media and journalism specifically are first and foremost about public service for the public good. So we all realize, we know that news media organizations have been struggling financially for many years. We are aware that the added impact of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic has further exacerbated the struggles of an industry that's already in crisis. Um, so I'm, I I'm really am pleased that this is amongst the very, very important themes that will receive much attention. Um, but importantly, I think, um, if we are to have this discussion, it would have to be held in uh, a broader framework, not only looking at sustainability, but also viability. You know, the factors and the conditions that support the existence of media organizations as well as its ability to produce independent, um, high-quality content for the public good. Which is being threatened as, you know, by governments that are clamping down. So, Tabani, you know, your work with MISA is basically in that particular area. How do you see the intersection between media sustainability, viability, and the violations taking place against the media? Uh, thanks for that. Uh, I think uh, it should be understood uh, within the uh, changing uh, uh, context uh, and environmental factors. Um, when um, uh, we are now in uh, the thickest uh, part of the storm of the pandemic, COVID pandemic, um, we, we are also emerging from uh, uh, various phases and uh, epochal uh, era of uh, uh, the media, you know, being resilient uh, from various factors. Uh, broadly speaking, if you would then go to Mozambique, you are going to confront issues around uh, safety of journalists uh, and uh, uh, their, you know, right to express and practice their journalistic pra uh, practice without uh, much fears. Uh, and this led to probably some of the uh, challenges which saw journalists like Adoso uh, losing their lives around 2000, journalists like uh, Machava losing their lives around 2015, um, Abraham Mbrako being missing uh, for a year now uh, for merely practicing the craft. If you go to South Africa, the changing nature of uh, uh, media threats around professionalism, around sustainability on small scale then, uh, but now at large scale because of the pandemic issues, uh, and how the government or liberation movements are struggling to maintain uh, the public service uh, of uh, a state broadcaster uh, in, in the country. Now, you take a, a, a Perusa and Zimbabwe, Swaziland, um, tied together, issues of uh, the state using bombing mechanisms, uh, media being bombed, arrests, criminalization of expression, uh, and threats on constitutional guarantees. Um, Zambia issues use, uh, you know, a, a multiplicity 
uh, of approaches around arrests, uh, use of uh, telecoms, taxes, among other issues, to pull back uh, on the enjoyment uh, of the right of the media to enjoy um, its professional uh, rights that are provided by the Constitution. The issue of Malawi, Namibia, Botswana, Tanzania, how do you push back uh, political hegemony uh, within these spaces uh, and maintain the viability of the media? Um, it, and now it is further complicated by the pandemic. What we have seen is that all these challenges uh, were phases of uh, various governments using a, a, a cocktail uh, of both legal, uh, extra-legal uh, pressures on the media, including bombings, arrests, and so forth, um, to silence the media. And, uh, you know, not winning outrightly. The sustainability question then uh, brought by the pandemic is that all these years of resilience, uh, escaping bombings, arrests, death uh, of uh, journalists, and among other things, um, might come to not if, if there's no sustainable plan uh, of the media to be rescued so that it performs uh, its fundamental role of providing a public good uh, of access to information. While they fail through bombs and so forth, they will achieve if the pandemic is allowed to ravage it without a rescue intervention. When you go back to the era uh, of uh, dominance of state-owned media, uh, and this militates against a public good being available in the foundational document uh, that established the principles and declarations uh, that are captured in the Vindok Declaration, that you need a free media. It must be independent. It must be vibrant. It must escape the pressures of capture, um, which comes with uh, uh, the various forces of government, of economic interests, are trying to control how uh, a multiplicity uh, of um, uh, stakeholders or society uh, groups uh, are going to enjoy access to information uh, which is credible, uh, can and indeed be saved by such a media. So this is the sustainability question, in, including uh, attending to the model uh, modeling uh, of media houses so that they remain there to save public good in the face of uh, uh, clutter and noise that is brought by misinformation in the forces of uh, various governments trying to dominate uh, discourse uh, and in the forces of uh, right-wing politics uh, trying to force the whole world uh, to be inward-looking, uh, yet there's a greater good in, in terms of uh, uh, ensuring that the human scale, uh, the human potential um, is fully uh, realized. So you know, it, it is from this angle that I say sustainability is a key question. And Tavani, you've raised a very critical issue, and so have you, um, Zoe. The fact that with all these pressures and with COVID really exacerbating what was already bubbling under the surface, the public during this time was heavily reliant on the media for information and for accurate information. And this is where, you know, everything converged, you know, your freedom of expression, your access to information. Do you think they are fully engaged with the issues of, you know, relieving the pressures of the media and being in support of the media, or should we be engaging them in better ways? Um, Rihanna, without a doubt, um, I think that, um, you know, this COVID-19 pandemic has brought it front and center, the fact that information is so critical. It's literally a matter of life and death. Um, 
and audiences, media consumers, the general public, um, have been at the receiving end of um, a great deal of mis- and disinformation, um, and in most instances have not had the wherewithal to distinguish truth from um, uh, fake news. But an important um, aspect that I think that we might have overlooked is that um, the media houses themselves have had to look and have not in many instances been very successful at looking um, at ways of engaging uh, their audiences, their readers, viewers and listeners um, on different platforms or alternative platforms or with engaging information in a manner that is accessible um, and of value to the audiences. So we really need to look um, at how media and the, the, the way we put out news and information becomes more relevant to people, more accessible to people, because people have a choice. And unless media organizations, news organizations make themselves relevant to the needs of people, we will become irrelevant. I think those are really great points, uh, Zoe. And, you know, certainly this is a, a fascinating uh, conversation. I, I know, you know, we've looked back at the last uh, 30 years, how things have evolved. Uh, we've discussed the challenges many, many challenges facing uh, freedom of expression and, and press freedom uh, in Africa uh, today. And Rihanna, I know you, you and I these uh, every month uh, on, on this show as well. But I, I've got a question now that I've been looking forward to asking uh, since we got going, because uh, I want to look ahead now to the next 10 years, 10 to 15 years, and ask you both, if you had to pick from all of these challenges, from all of these issues, if you had to pick one big thing to focus on for the next decade, what would that be? Um, let's start with you, Tabani. Yeah, thanks, Dev. But uh, that's a complex pick <laughs> uh, because <laughs> because the the challenges that uh, are facing uh, the human race today are more complex and uh, rather not binary per se to make a, a choice that if you focus on A, they need to address everything. Uh, but I would think that uh, uh, the the theme uh, of this year, that uh, information uh, as a public good, uh, is timeless. Uh, in that all forms of media and uh, respective medium uh, mediums uh, of communication um, arise from the need to provide a public good of ensuring that they transport credible information uh, that pushes the human race forward. Uh, so in my, in my peak, I would rather say um, access to information will be central uh, an issue um, for the next decade, um, but it should be understood uh, as a culmination of multiple factors uh, that how do you access information online? Uh, how is that accessing of information online governed? Uh, how do you access it offline? Uh, who is providing this information offline uh, as various forms of media? Uh, how authentic uh, are they as a media? Are they trusted uh, to provide that public good? 
um, culminating accumulatively. Uh, this cannot be addressed uh, at a nation state type of engagement alone, uh, because these issues, due to the outbreak of pandemics, have become universal. Hence, the need to put solidarity and uh, organic collaboration at the center of uh, advancing uh, public uh, information uh, as a public good uh, through various organic uh, forms of collaboration and solidarity to ensure that uh, what happens in Zimbabwe um, will not only affect Zimbabweans, but will become an issue uh, of everyone in the continent. Uh, the same way the, uh, the visionaries of the declaration uh, took an approach that this is going to be a document that cut across uh, all the spheres of humanity. Uh, so in, in my pick, this is my, my approach. Um, Tabane, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that, you know, many people have spoken about COVID-19 as, um, you know, a near extinction event for the media. Um, so if you're going to take that perspective, then I would say um, for quite a while, if not the next 10 years, we are looking at building again an information ecology that is better and stronger um, and that is aware of our interdependence. And you've mentioned this, Tabani, because all these factors that, that I think that we have raised here shows that there is this need for an awareness of the interdependence of these factors uh, within this, this larger, bigger picture um, as we step towards this improved information ecology. Um, at the center of it all, we need to understand that we need to move forward looking at uh, multi-stakeholder governance, uh, looking at uh, pro-human rights policy changes, regulation, self-regulation, education, and informed public participation. And at the center of all of that is, I think, our collective appreciation for the fact that information is an entitlement of each individual, but its availability is the prominent and central issue that we will be, that we are looking at now and we'll have to look at in the future, probably in uh, more um, uh, con complex scenarios. Well, I think you both have got us to a place where we've reflected, we've taken a bit of an introspective look. And yes, I think the next co the conversation that will be coming up is how? How do we build better? How do we become more sustainable? How do we ensure that the public uh, becomes part of the process of this building of the media ecology. So I would ask, you know, I would say that the Windu Declaration was really very visionary. It was a benchmark for defending press freedom, not just in Africa, but around the world. So 30 years later, um, a lot has changed. Should we be looking at revising it? Thanks uh, for that uh, question, uh, Ryan. I think it is... Um, yeah. Like any form of uh, living organism, um, the question is, should we formally revise it? Because uh, through the changing nature of our existence as a people, 
uh, it has already uh, started the process of its own in terms of its review uh, by how it has influenced uh, various organizations. For example, if you take the, uh, the birth of MISA, um, those 30 years ago, and how, how MISA is performing throughout uh, the region, shows that uh, change is inevitable. Uh, and that uh, formally, if you so decide, you then need to sit down and say, what are the areas? But in practice, even uh, the influence it has had uh, on the revision uh, or the, the precedent set uh, by the Declaration on Principles of uh, Expression and Access to Information and the CHPR uh, is that uh, nothing is static forever if it is a living element. Uh, it's, it ought to change and be uh, responsive and uh, um, shaping uh, the various changing elements of the society. To this, the declaration is done through influencing uh, various institutions, various campaigns, uh, including the APAI campaigns, uh, including um, how MISA has evolved, uh, including how the African Union itself uh, has equally adopted uh, these um, principles uh, through its various instruments. Uh, but for it now to be formally attended to, definitely it is a challenge uh, that it must be attended to uh, and modernize um, the elements that speaks uh, to the various forms of expression and access to information uh, that were not there uh, when the visionary set. So there is need to attend to the fundamental issues of uh, expression uh, through online mechanisms. Uh, but also how do you uh, deal with independent and free media uh, in the age of an audience that is speaking back uh, when they set and set this foundational document, it was unidirectional. Uh, but also, how do you um, attend to free media and all forms of challenges that we highlighted, uh, both myself and Zoe, uh, from the beginning of the conversation around need for independence, around need for pluralism, and um, among all, all other uh, factors. So there is need to attend to it uh, in detail, uh, to attend to the uh, changing ecosystem of media, issues of resilience, uh, issues of uh, remodeling. How do you have a, a resilient media that is responsive uh, for the next uh, uh, era of our existence beyond the, the short term uh, to the long term questions, hard questions indeed? I'm not so sure that, I mean, we really are speaking about an issue of revision of the Vindic Declaration. You used a word, Tabani, uh, foundational. And that's exactly what the 1991 Vintuk Declaration is and was um, a foundational document. It's the, the springboard, it's the template for um, you know, a media policy framework that has effectively changed the world. I often say that the Vintuk Declaration is Africa's biggest, one of Africa's biggest gifts to the world. Um, and I will continue to say that. Um, it had, I mean, um, every decoration, every uh, policy document uh, is developed within a certain context. And the Vintage Decoration of 91 was developed in that particular context. And that is why, 10 years later, understanding its um, deficiencies, um, the African Charter was again birthed here in Vintage, in Namibia. And then just a few years later, the um, Declaration of Principles on Freedom 
of expression were born, taking much of um, you know the, the principles of um, the Declaration uh, to uh, the level of the African Commission for Human and People's Rights. Um, and so the, we've moved on and evolved in terms of media policy, and all of these things have happened on the African continent. The, the Declaration on Internet Rights and Freedoms, the now revised uh, or new reviewed Declaration of Principles on Freedom of Expression and Access to Information uh, in Africa, which is groundbreaking. But still, the Vintuk Declaration is just that document that gave us first and foremost, I do believe, this important day once a year on the 3rd of May where we really celebrate journalism. And that is something that we will not review. Um, we will build on it. Um, and I think that is a perspective that we will need to take. Um, that we, are, uh, we will, at the end of this conference, have a Vintage Plus 30 declaration um, that, again, builds on the original declaration, and we will continue to build and evolve. But always, we go back to our foundation. You kind of summed it up all very well, Zoe. And yes, I think it is the springboard from which we're going to build upon. And that's the conversation I'm sure will be dominating uh, World Press Freedom Day in Windhoek, in your country. Absolutely, Rehana. It's been a really a fascinating conversation. Thanks to you all uh, for, for joining us today. Zoe, Tabani, I know you're both always uh, a busy people, but especially at this time of year around World Press Freedom Day, I know that's all the more so. So Rehana and I really do appreciate uh, you taking the time uh, to join us today for such a, a absolutely fascinating uh, discussion, really looking at the, the past, the present and the future uh, when it comes to press freedom and freedom of expression in Africa. Thanks also to you, our listeners. Uh, if you've enjoyed our discussion, please do share it widely. And don't forget, you can now find us on all your favorite audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And you can also now send us feedback. Let us know what you think by emailing africabrief at ifex.org. You can also follow the IFEX Twitter feed at twitter.com slash IFEX to stay in touch with freedom of expression developments from Africa and across the globe. And also, please do follow the Namibia Media Trust uh, there at, at Nam Media Trust on Twitter and Misa Zimbabwe, who are at Misa Zimbabwe. Special thanks as well to the Namibia Media Trust for recording this episode. And thanks also to our producers, Iram Partap and Paco Lepe. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned. Until next time. <laughs>